What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and this episode we're tackling Molly's Game. We're going to be sitting down with Alan Baumgarten and Josh Schaefer to discuss their work on Aaron Sorkin's first feature film as a director, and we get into some interesting topics, including the use of stock footage, which plays a big role in this film. Now, if you're interested in this film and you enjoy this interview, you're also going to want to check out my interview that's coming out in about a week. Uh, with Bruno Verdoni, and he plays Pat in the film. And it just so happens I was cutting his film that he directed, so his first directorial debut, uh, well, he was acting in Molly's Game. So the two of us sit down and discuss what it's like to be directed by Aaron Sorkin and any tips for editors or directors from an actor's perspective. So that's something you'll want to check out. Of course, the Oscars have been announced, and I'd like to congratulate everyone who's been nominated. Be sure to check out our interview with Sidney Walensky, who edited Shave of Water. And of course, we have an article written on our page uh, interviewing Jonathan Amos and Paul Matchless, who edited Baby Driver. All three of them have been nominated for the Oscars, and it'll be great to see any of them take it home this year. With all that said, here's my interview with the editing team of Molly's Game. How did you guys get involved with Molly's Game? Well, you know, I got involved through Elliot Graham, who's the other editor on this movie. He had done Steve Jobs with Aaron, and Aaron brought him on, but he had a limited uh, amount of time to be on the movie because he was committed to doing a show with Danny Boyle in London. So he kind of got the movie started. Him and I started on the beginning of the movie, and then he searched out somebody to replace him, which became Alan. And so he was on for a few weeks, and then Alan took his spot. Yeah, Elliot contacted me and helped get me into that position. So I joined Josh, and we just carried on until the end of the film and worked with Aaron. And, you know, showed Elliot cuts once in a while, but he was on to his next project. And uh, we've been in touch with him, of course, and we took it from there. Now, Aaron Sorkin's, you know, a master storyteller. People love his work. And when I was researching, I noticed something that he likes to do, essentially paper edits in the writing process. So I'm wondering... I guess, did he bring these things to the edit suite? Did he work with you guys with a a paper edit? But also, how did you guys approach working with Aaron Sorkin, you know, someone who's renowned for storytelling? Well, well, obviously, he gave us a great script to work with and to work from. But it's interesting what you say about the research. I don't think I was aware of that. We know that he uh, reads the script out loud to himself, talks it through. So he he does work out all the rhythms and the pace of dialogue and how he wants it to play in his head or maybe on paper edits, as you said, and kind of fine tunes it to a really far degree so that when we get it, it's, you know, obviously in great, great shape and the script just sings, but, uh, he got all the footage, filmed it, and then looked to us to help him interpret it. We did sort of work collaboratively, Josh. I mean, you guys found the language early on of using some stock footage and illustrating with the use of the voiceover, which is, I think, new for Aaron. You know, it has quite a bit of voiceover in the film. And uh, that was a great element that we had to work with. And then finding a way to do, tell it visually was our challenge. Well, I guess telling it visually, you set up the style very early on with that montage introducing Molly and giving all her background really rapidly. So I guess who tackled that and how did you approach cutting that? Was that in the script or is that something that evolved in post? Information was in the script, but not how to tell it. That was Josh and uh, and Elliot, so Josh. Well, I would say that, you know, this is what made it fun and also it made it good having multiple editors is because we all kind of try to tackle it in our own way. 
Aaron's very familiar with the way he wants his dialogue to read, but I think voiceover was new to him, not just in the amount of voiceover, but also, you know, there's a lot of famous directors with voiceover styles, like Scorsese and things, and he didn't, he wanted it to be his style. So I think we were kind of empowered to find ways to pull the voiceover out. And, and this is where having Elliot and Alan and I working off each other, we all had our own ways of doing it. We all kind of brought different, even with thin stock footage, we all did it differently. And I think what the movie is, is a combination of everybody taking different uh, approaches to doing it. And we presented it to Aaron. He would uh, react to it. And he, he was very excited by, I think, the opportunities to illustrate the voiceover through, you know, alternate footage of stock footage and so forth. So that it wasn't just like in the opening, the ski material with the voiceover, which is pretty much how it would read on the page if you just looked at it that way. But Josh and Elliot jumping right in, they felt it would be advantageous to give it another dimension. And like Josh was saying, certain voiceover scripts with maybe other directors have more music or song driven. We didn't have that because that wasn't Aaron's style. The dialogue is is really forefront and visually we can support it with, you know, quick cutting and, and different images and, you know, choose how we were going to pace the scene, but we really followed the voiceover and, and the dialogue in the scenes that were just, you know, character-driven dialogue scenes. The other thing about it is control and finding the balance of it because, you know, the beginning is heavy to it. As we went down the line with the movie, we tried it in other places, like when you would meet the rock star for the first time, for instance. We did a pass where you did some flash cuts and set him up, or when you came to New York, we had made it a thing to show the Playboy models in a way. And it's, I think we decided unitedly to slowly pull back on it so that the movie could become itself and not need that. How much to do really became a conversation. So did you guys set rules in, in how much to do? Because it's always a tricky thing with voiceover, especially in how it affects you. The voiceover was, was all written in, and it wasn't, none of it was added later. It was all very much integral and part of the script from the very beginning, so that was there. But how much stock footage and archival material to use, it just evolved. It, there were no rules, really, but we sort of would always learn by finding out when we went too far. That, then we'd pull back, and that's kind of how you do it, really. You just kind of keep trying it and let it find its balance, and we would you know, bounce the ideas off each other. And also, we had different time frames within the structure of the script that were built in, which were you know, really complex and interesting and fun to work with as well. So that also dictated to some extent how how much we would jump around when we had the present day from her being busted by the FBI and her appearing in the uh, lawyer's office, Charlie Jaffe. So that thread running for present day, but then we constantly flash back first to Los Angeles and then later to the games in New York. And then there are also additional time jumps further back to her skiing, to her childhood as well, and to her family. And so sometimes you would just want to let those be as dramatic scenes, and other times you would feel free to energize it or illustrate it with, with uh, additional material. So we just kind of chose to tackle it sequence by sequence and found what was best. It sounds like a lot of this film was finding, well, I guess any of the films you work on is going to be finding that balance, because one of my notes was, how did you find the balance between the lawyer storyline, like her working with her lawyer to save her name, and the poker games, right. and trying to make sure that you didn't make people sit through poker games, but also, (laughs) you know, kept us engaged. It's a good question, Josh. um, You want to start? Well, I would say the Idris and Jessica scenes kind of found themselves first, maybe, because they were so well-written, and the rhythm and the pace, I think Aaron could really latch on to what those were going to be very easily. There was some work to be done, but we basically had to keep the flashes in the past kind of at the same tempo, you know, we, we worked in order, and I think we worked in a way where it was like, okay, we just did that first scheme, which is the skiing, which is an intense 
attack of information and now we want to rest and like be quiet and you know and i think so those the transitions found themselves and also aaron was is the first to say that the film really isn't about poker per se and he didn't want to make a poker film so the balance was always show what was effective and what was necessary show it in a fun way but don't belabor it or try to excessively inundate the viewer with an overload of poker material it wasn't that filmic. It wasn't the heart of the story. Was really the lawyer's scenes with Molly, and her journey and her arc. The poker and some of the other elements were more for punctuation, for energy, and to be a part of the story, but not to drive it necessarily. But they definitely have a lot of impact due to their style. Well, and I was going to say that when I was reading up on this, Sorkin said he wanted the suspense or the tension to be around. How can she protect her name? So. How did you go around building the suspense around that area uh, of the story? Because that's such an intense and important element of the story. I think some of that's built into the fact that she's constantly or was constantly facing some severe challenges and obstacles. And she was running into a lot of difficulty and, and trouble the further and further she got into this world. And yet we worked very hard to portray her as a principled person who was trying to do the right thing, who had good instincts certainly early on and who you know went astray and had a complicated journey but the protecting her name and her ideals were hopefully something that you believed enough in early on that when we came back to it, it did become something that was validated and became sort of the end of her journey. You cared and rooted for her and were hoping that that might be the case and that you believed that there was enough of that in her when you first met her, even though she did get um, sidetracked quite a bit. And that's in the script and how Aaron really wanted to show this character. Well, and all the uh, Arthur Miller references throughout the film. Yeah, it was fun to have that those layers of uh, literary references between that and then the James Joyce and Ulysses, the Molly Bloom character, which was quite funny. But there, and you get a lot of smart stuff in the script. One of my favorite moments in the film, and it's such a weird moment to be your favorite, but it's this very small moment where Chastain's boss throws bagels at her and she dodges it really quickly. The reason I liked it so much is that we've gotten all this background about her and it just sort of reinforces all the information we just had. So it's sort of like everything you just learned is true, but it's such a small moment. It's good you point that out, though. It's a really great, it is a great moment in the film. It's one of those things that just works and is really, really strong. I'm glad you pointed that out. I was wondering, I'm assuming that was in the script, but was there anything in the film that you saw or in the acting or in the rushes that you were like, this helps reinforce the character and sort of placed into the film to help build Chastain's character? I think that that was all in the script. I think the only thing we could do is highlight it. Like in that same scene, I, I know a moment that was really important to Aaron was the moment when she gets that notepad with the list of names. And that was a big moment. And I think that was one we talked about when the music should start and like, how do we really enunciate that this is a big deal. We don't see the names, but this is the, you know, this is some of the greatest actors and filmmakers in Hollywood are on this list. And she's from, Colorado, you know? So there were things like that that we had to kind of make sure came across. But I think a lot of subtleties of Jessica's performance were just, her instincts on this stuff were perfect. Yeah. <laughs> One part of her performance that was great was when she pulls the game away from LA and takes it to New York. I mean, the, the cleverness that she displays, but also the sort of strength and boldness when she challenges Michael Sarah's character after she's, you know, finding out that she's got a player who can't pay and she's going to be in debt and the uh, obstacles are pretty great for her, but she's resolved to use her smarts to get out of it and take control. And she just plays it beautifully. She's really great. 
but she's also at a low point there before she turns it around and, and takes the challenge of going to New York where she's during the day drinking the whiskey and jogging and really reflecting on the fact that, you know, which way should she go? And she just says so much by her performance, which is really drawing you in to, to try to, you know, stay with her and discover what is going to happen. And she's really great at doing that. Now, uh, Sorkin is kind of known for his rapid dialogue and his walk and talks in the West Wing. So I'm wondering, with lines of dialogue that'll be full of, you know, exposition or loads of information, how did this affect you in the editing process? I, I think, uh, you know, we were conscious of the pace. One of the things I think we all naturally were all in sync with with Aaron was just the kind of the musical sound of how he wanted his dialogue. We never really struggled with that, and I think we always just kind of fine-tuned it. One of the things for me that was really educational with Aaron was that he would see a scene that he had written, and he would be like, okay, I know I want to take some lines and have them said at the same time, but I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to work. He had written some lines in the script that were going to overlap. They were performed right. that way. But beyond that, he literally was like, people don't listen to each other talk. And there's going to be times where the person already knows what the next person is going to be saying, so I want them to be talking over each other. And we would find kind of looking at the scene cut and find those places. And I thought it was a really smart way to, to give the audience dialogue. It felt real. You mentioned the musicality of the dialogue. Can you elaborate on that? Like, what were you seeing in the footage? You know, it's more in the interplay between the way that they perform the scenes. You know, they barely finish a thought where, like, literally every line of dialogue overlaps the last three frames of the line before. Very percussive. There's a, in the rapid-fire dialogue scenes, there's a, a rhythm and an energy that's, that's kind of constant and steady and just keeps driving, driving, and as Josh said, overlaps. But then he'll turn that around and have moments that breathe and sit there, moments that there are pauses and quiet. So it's really the way he alternates and chooses to build scenes to a, you know, an intensity and a pitch that just kind of explodes. And then there's moments when there's less of that. So we would just be you know, carefully attuned to how it was written in the script and how it was performed because he would really try to get the actors to do as much of the accelerated rhythm as possible. But sometimes they wouldn't or couldn't do as much as he even wanted. And that's where we would start to overlap lines you know, even on camera, off camera, to get somebody to speak right on top of somebody else. It's, it's fun. We all, we all kind of got familiar with that rhythm early on as we started to work with it and saw what Aaron was going for and happily jumped on board. And it was quite exciting to do that. Interesting. Now, I have one last question that I'd like to ask all the editors I interview. Yes. And that's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? <laughs> wow. I'll start for myself. I'm going to say Natural Born Killers. It's a fantastic one. Because, you know, I was Hank Corwin's assistant for a few years in commercials who cut that. He cut the big short in a few movies. And it's a movie that I don't think is a perfect movie. But as far as the flow of consciousness, editing style, I, you can just watch any part of that movie and pull some inspiration. You know, the first scene of that movie has like nine music tracks. You know, the nonlinear quality, the not matched cutting. I mean, it's, to me, that's like watching a guitar movie. Well, I'm not going to be able to top that. That's a good one, Josh. I'm going to pass on that. You, you came up with a great <laughs> answer there. That's great. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you guys. Yeah. So, thanks for doing these, man. I find these interesting. I like editing. I like hearing people have this stuff. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Gordon. So that was my interview with Alan and Josh. I'd like to thank them for sitting down and talking to me about their cutting process. I'd also like to thank Carly McKeating for editing this episode. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>